ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. So I want to welcome uh, Brian Helsey to uh, ATV Talk. Thanks for coming on and, and spending a little of your Sunday with us. No problem. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate everything over the years. Well, and, uh, this is more about you. This this, this hour, this 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 talk is is going to be about about Brian Halsey and his ATV ATC experience and the things that you've got to do and the changes you've seen in the industry. Yeah, I, I have been around quite a while and seen a lot of changes from three wheels to four, two strokes to four strokes, and. Uh, handlebars to steering wheels <laughs> let's uh let's go back in time a little bit and talk about your your three-wheeler days uh my three-wheeler days the original three-wheeler days racing portion was very short-lived it was one race in 89 the flat river grand prix in missouri it's on a tri z 253 wheeler and uh it's more of an experience uh, experiment than really a serious attempt at racing, <laughs> but that's what gave me the racing bug. And after 80, or I'm sorry, that was 88. For 89, there was no more three-wheeler racing. So that was the last race of that year. And uh, from then on, it had to be either four wheels or nothing. Did you uh, do any three-wheeler riding before that race? Yeah, I rode quite a bit. Started out on a 110 three-wheeler and uh, just played around for a while. Eventually, I got an 84-200X three-wheeler and rode that up until about 87. And uh, the, the Tri-Z was the first bike I actually bought myself. Nice. So, I was in high school and saved up all my money from working part-time and bought myself a three-wheeler. <laughs> well, you've spent a lot of years racing. Uh, I, know, I, I know your name's been bouncing around our shop for, for years and years. Is cross country been your main uh, discipline? Um, the first race I ever took my four wheeler to was a flat track, a TT race, but it was basically a stock bike, and I was going to race a stock class, whatever they had, and that race got rained out. And as luck would have it, the second race that I went to was a Missouri Hare Scramble cross country race, and I loved, fell in love with the woods ever since. So I really didn't know which one I wanted to do. So I, I, uh, it just kind of how the schedule fell. And after that, I decided I'm just going to build a bike. That's when I realized you got to build a bike, bike for specific racing. Did so you, uh, did you race just locally on the 250R for a number of years before you went national? Yeah, I did. I, I raced from 89 until, I think 94 was the first time I just dabbled in hitting like Loretta Lynn's because living in Missouri, Loretta Lynn's was always the close race for us Missouri folks. So everyone always went to Loretta's for the cross country race. And Loretta's is big, either motocross or cross country. It's always a huge, huge event. 
Right. Yeah. Never really had much luck in my early years of going from the Missouri races to the GNCCs, but it was only one or two a year. And I believe 97 or 98 was my first year that I uh, tried to hit all of them. Wow. And what class were you racing at that point? Um, I didn't start racing the, the first year that I raced all of them. I, since I was racing the expert pro level class in Missouri, I just, I went pro at the GNCCs. How'd you do? You know, I honestly don't remember my first pro race, believe it or not. Um, I think it was somewhere around top 15, something like that. Well, as big as those classes were back then, that's pretty good. Yeah, the pro class back then, it was generally about 30 riders. So it's nothing like today. Sometimes today, I think they got at GNCCs even around 15 or so. Where do you, where do you race mostly now? Um, this year I've, uh, well, actually last year in, uh, 2019 was the first year of the AXPC series. And that's kind of a Midwest series that, uh, it was actually developed as a replacement for the side-by-side side-by-side GNCC series, because they dropped the side-by-sides UTVs. So the AXCC started up a pro series for the side-by-sides. And they had the quads along with it. So it's an all ATV event, no dirt bike. So it was, uh, and that was more in the Midwest. So I said, let's do it. How'd you, how'd you end up that year? Uh, last year in 19, I, I didn't set the world on fire, but my consistent finishes, no podiums, sadly. <laughs> got real close, last race. And uh, I got fifth for the year. You got what place? I got fifth. Nice. Hey, that's still, Hey, you know, you're not a, you're not a young whippersnapper anymore. You, you no, know, you get a lot of dirt in your day. Well, yeah. What's the, um, when you go back through, when you, when you started on the two stroke, how soon did you have to evolve into a four stroke? What year was that? Um, I stayed on the 250R from 89, the, the Honda 250R from 89 all the way up until um, 2002 was my last year on the 250R. And 2003, the only reason I left the 250R was Kawasaki came out with their KFX 700, and I got selected to be a part of that team. So I spent two years, 03 and 04, on the KFX 400. By then, I was 32 years old. And uh, so I moved to the vet class on the before 700. Did some damage on that bad boy. They, they were a fun bike to ride, didn't they? Weren't they? Yeah. The first year I had a real good season and uh, I won that vet class and got 35th overall, starting from about five, five, six rows back. So it on that 700. So I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, I got to I got to ride it on the West Coast for Kawasaki in 2004 and and being in the in the vet class, the 30 the 30A class, I I could only imagine. Uh, you know, uh, manage a second place for the season. Um, I just would come up short for that win, you know, and it just seconds and thirds and fourths. And I just could never manage to put her on top of the box. Uh, I ended up doing, I ended up putting her on the box, you know, in, uh, Idaho on the very first pro-am race that works ever had. 
I, I got to win that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Those that was, those work races look like a, a good series. Since uh, ATV Talk is not the most familiar with woods racing, let's get into some of the setups and some of the things that you had to do to pre- prevent the water from ruining your machine. Well, um, most of the machines were uh, being the, a race type like the 250R and now the 450. Um, uh, it, it was a lot of trial and error. Uh, some guys would share their tips. Um, some guys wouldn't. <laughs> so a lot of times you'd try things that didn't work. Uh, sometimes you'd spot something on a, someone else's machine. And one of the best best tricks I found on the 250R was to uh, run an airbox lid, but a hole cut in the back with a, a water deflector built in, a homemade water deflector. And uh, on the mud and the water, obviously water and intake into the motor was the probably one of the biggest enemies, uh, biggest things we had to battle. Were the water conditions in the 80s and early 90s worse than they are as the time progressed because the courses got drier or they, they, they became more wore in? or Because they don't look as muddy when you look at some of the, the later footages. They, they, they don't seem to have as much mud. I honestly feel like uh, there's at a GNCC anyway, uh, local races, you know, they all have their own variety, but I've raced GNCCs through several decades, and uh, it seems like the water has gotten worse. It seems like even on a dry race, you're still going to have water sections, so you always have to prepare for the water in the mud because you're still going to have those sections at every race. Even if it's dry and dusty, at 90% of the track, you're still going to have that 10% that's not. So always, always prepare for the water and the mud is what I've found to work out the best. Yeah, the farther you get in the pack, even if you're a front runner in your class, you're still running in traffic. Absolutely. Traffic is the worst thing for the radiator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing we, we never had on the two strokes was, uh, you know, these fans. The fans have really helped the four strokes survive races that the two strokes would not have survived because. You know, we can block off the front of the radiator, block off the back of the radiator, and the fan runs all the time. It still pulls air across that radiator, but uh, uh, so you're still going to keep that engine cool. Back in the day, the 250R, it was hard to even block that radiator off because you had to have air across that radiator. Once that radiator got clogged, you're blowing a head gasket, losing your coolant, and your motor's toast. Well, motor design with solid aluminum cylinders and nickel hard coating also helps with some of the cooling factor with the modern day motors. You know, there's a few engine builders that have adapted like uh, the PC 2000 for the 250R that's solid aluminum. I think there's another version of it out there, another solid aluminum cylinder, but I'm not sure what the the name of it or the manufacturer is, but you, um, you get to the evolution of it. Um, So were there extra snorkels that you would run on that air box or just, the hole in the back with the water diverter. I still ran a snorkel. Uh, at that time, I was running a Lager, uh, Lager chromoly chassis, and you had to develop a snorkel system anyway because the stock snorkel system didn't work. So we ran a piece of swimming pool hose around the uh, shock mount under the gas tank, 
and it actually hooked into the stock piece that you would run. That would just give you a little extra to that air box. And it was a little more protected air coming from all the way up front. Uh, was, the, much, what's that? was the performance uh, hampered much by the lack of airflow or were you well, guys to get enough air in there? That's why we, that's why we ran that additional snorkel up front because it just felt like what we had to block off for water conditions. We were just trying to make up for it there. Obviously it wasn't going to flow as good as the open air box, but better to finish the race than to lead it all the way up to a lap from the finish. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in, in all of the, uh, you did some OMA stuff too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. In 2008, uh, the Missouri Hair Scramble Series, uh, I think 2005 was the last year that I ran the GNCCs, and I was getting a little older, getting, it was just getting harder to compete, so I stayed local. In 2006, I won the Missouri Hair Scramble Championship in 2006, and in 2000, I'm sorry, I won it in 2007. And for 2008, they dropped the quads from that Missouri Hair Scramble Championship. So we didn't have a series locally anymore. So the OMA, the OMA series was our Midwest series. And I remember Duncan Racing's Andy Lagston was having some luck in that series. And uh, I raced with Andy for years. So uh, me and a couple friends decided to go hit the OMAs in 2008. And my season didn't start off that great, but it ended really good. And I ended up winning that championship in 2008. That's pretty awesome. What was the big difference between the OMA and the Missouri series? Uh, the OMA series was, uh, uh, it's always nice to ride against people that you've never ridden against before. So a lot of times in the Missouri series, it just felt like it was the same people I was riding against and racing all the time. And going to the OMAs, it was, uh, some people I've known, some people I've known of, and it was it was nice to race against other other people. And the tracks seem to be about three quarters of the size of a GNCC. I actually prefer more laps, uh, less mileage. So it it worked out really good. Is that series. because you remember the course better, or yeah, you're yeah, for me, it was a, a matter of being able to remember uh, remember the course better. Yeah. Really? Was the uh, the terrain similar or, you know, the same moisture problems that you had? Oh, yeah, that that's pretty well going to be at any series, the moisture and the wet. And so I, I learned that from the 250R days was always to always prepare for the wet. And well, we the, always the, terrain, the OMAs were all over. They were up north. Up in Michigan, there was real sandy terrain. Uh, that was a really good track. Um, all the way up to Spring Creek in uh, uh, Minnesota, Millville, where they have the uh, Outdoor National Motocross. So we got to run on that track. And uh, they were just all over the place. It was really good getting to uh, experience some places that I've never been before and learn some new tracks, too. That's awesome. There's a trend here going in our conversation. And it always keeps coming back to water. <laughs> I don't. Uh... Water, water is kind of a uh, just something you got to be prepared for with cross country racing. 
it can be one of the biggest reasons to DNF a race. And uh, I'm not saying I love water or mud by any means because uh, just about everyone, <laughs> now, there, there's some people that love the mud, but I'm not one of them. Well, but I'm West Coast. Said, what's I'm that? West Coast, and I like dust and rocks. Uh, I, honestly, I, honestly, I would rather have a dusty race than a muddy race because it seems like the mud can end your day. And uh, The dust can, too. It's yeah. not ending like a mechanical. It's usually ended because you landed on your noodle. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, some, of my, some of my best GNCC finishes ever have been in the mud. Loretta Lens was my best GNCC finish ever with a fourth overall. And it was torrential down for the whole race. And I just kept plugging away. And it just seemed like I was making passes on people I've never never beat before <laughs> so it was just kind of a dream race it only takes that one time to pass that guy you never did before to make it a, yeah. to make it a habit right yeah and some of the people i passed that day um i've never passed them since <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got your day right 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 i had it one time <laughs> so when you transitioned from the two-stroke to the four-stroke was it a big uh, culture shock for you as far as the the way the machine handled, the setup, things like that? Well, uh, for me, uh, I know I always I always had you guys do a uh, cross-country port job on my two-strokes. I went with big bores and uh, the 310 kits because I liked the power, the down-low power and the torque. So for me, really, the four-stroke actually complemented my riding style because I actually – even though I was known to be a strong finisher, I tend to get lazy at the end of the race <laughs> and rely on more of that torque. So I actually like the four stroke better. And I really wish that the four strokes would have came along earlier in my career. Well, don't you think the four stroke extended your career? Uh, financially, it probably did <laughs> because the, the two strokes were getting hard to come by, hard to maintain. And so, yeah. You're right. But the, but the, I think it's the four strokes, not as hard on your body. I think it's easier to hold on to. It's not as, there's not as much vibration, uh, just something about the power delivery. It's, it's easier, easier for our old bodies to hold on to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like I said, it, the four stroke really does complement my kind of riding style. And, and it, it does, it, it makes me be able to, makes me be able to last, Towards the end of the race, sometimes where I know the high RPMs of the two strokes would have, I would have just fell off. So when we were talking about the cross country thing and you were getting into racing, who were some of the guys at the time that you were looking up to that were the, the Kings of the sport that uh, you were chasing? Well, uh, in Missouri, I was really lucky to have a real fast guy, Ricky Madison and uh, anybody from back in the, uh, late nineties, uh, mid to late nineties. Uh, no, Ricky Madison. He won. He is the only guy from Missouri to ever win a GNCC overall. He finished number three uh, a couple times, I believe. So, uh, if I could ever latch on to him at some local races, that's one of the things that made me go ahead and go to the pro class at the GNCCs right away because I raced against him locally. Not that I ever beat him, 
but <laughs> I, I knew what to expect by racing against them locally. Well, that's awesome. Was and, there uh, anybody else that you followed at the time? Um, just what I would read in the magazines back then. Obviously, we didn't have any internet or anything. And, you know, you wanted to race against Bob Spones and the Chuck Lulos and uh, guys like that. You know, you wanted to, wanted to see what all the hype was, see if they really had it. And they did. Those guys were, those guys were tough. They were fast. Hold on one second. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, so when you were reading the magazines, uh, we got interrupted there for a second. When you were reading the magazines, who were you following in the magazine? I remember you were talking about uh, Chuck DeLulu. Chuck DeLulu and Bob Sloan. I really like Bob Sloan. And uh, Bob Sloan was probably one of the, one of the writers that probably uh, drew me towards Duncan Racing. I always liked his stuff, uh, seeing your stuff on his bike. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, Bob Sloan, Chuck DeLulo, Ricky Madison was always right in there with those guys. And uh, so, yeah, I, those were the main three. So uh, did you uh, – I, I realized that you rode with Duncan for a long time. Did you try any other – your hand with any other sponsors, or have you stayed with, with Duncan Racing your whole career? I, I haven't. I actually – the first time I ever uh, felt like I – I never felt like I wanted to send out any kind of resumes or anything towards sponsors. I felt like I had something to offer them. So uh, I never tried to get any sponsorship or anything until I put in my first year at GNCC's for the whole, the whole season. And at the end of that season, I finished, um, I finished 14th overall for the year. So I felt that was fairly respectable. So I, uh, I, that's when I, sent off for sponsorship. Everything was just completely out of my pocket that first year. And uh, um, you guys were the only uh, performance engine builder and that I even was interested in trying to uh, get connected with. Wow. So I got lucky there. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. good that you stayed with, with uh, one company for that long. I, I noticed that on your four-stroke that there's some decals that have been on there a long time, the same ones. Yeah. Yeah. Every, it, it seems like when I, when I get hooked up with somebody that, and I, and I kind of, I pick my sponsors that I want, <laughs> or I should say the products that I want. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of products on my bike that I use that I could have gotten a cheaper version or a different version elsewhere for either free or uh, a better deal, but I don't like it as much for one reason or other. I don't feel it's, I don't feel as confident or I don't like the performance of it, whatever it is. And so I, I've been lucky, I've been lucky enough over the years to uh, go with what I want and have them help me in some form or another. And that's how I've kind of built my race program. Well, that's, that's pretty awesome. It's something that you got to teach the younger guys that sometimes that loyalty pays off in the long run to get you down the trail and maybe in the beginning, it's not the greatest deal, but in the end of your career or in the middle, the, the deal gets better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely have been, have been blessed in my racing career and I can only thank the Lord for that and my family and, uh, and my wonderful wife, Amanda, who's <laughs> got married last year, well, a year ago tomorrow. Congratulations. Thank you.
Uh, you mentioned, uh, did you have you transitioned from the four wheeler into the UTV already? I, I hadn't seen any post of you racing, so I was uh, a little unsure about that. Yeah, back around uh, thirteen and fourteen, uh, my my local bike shop uh, was J and W Cycles uh, for years and years. Um, they they offered me uh, a a uh, opportunity to run a 900 xp razor and i did that for a couple years and it was expensive (laughs) even all the support they could give me it was very expensive to do and i just realized it's it's not gonna i i can't i can't swim in this big pond (laughs) so i still have it though i i ended up buying it buying it from them and i had put all the money into it anyway so I bought it from them. I still use it every day. I was out uh, riding yesterday. We, my wife and I went trail riding with my parents and uh, they have a Kawasaki Terex and we do that a lot now as a family. That's awesome. Um, is your racing career over or do you think you're going to go back and hit a few in the next, in the next few months? Well, uh, last weekend was our first race of the year of the AXDC series and it it kind of turned up with this whole COVID thing they we owned the first three races of the series and then round four uh it was off it was supposed to be at Loretta's and they called it off and then a couple days later they they announced that hey we got another venue it's going to be in Oklahoma so round one was in Oklahoma last weekend and uh uh Looked like it was a really good track. Uh, I took off in the mud and the water we talked about. <laughs> it got the best of me, and uh, I buried my bike this time. It was it was rider error. It put me quite a ways back, and uh, by the time I dug the bike out, I was so far back. There was no sense in demolishing the bike, so I I called it a day. Wow. That's, it must've been a pretty rough one for you to call it a day because you're a warrior yeah. and you've, 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 you've written through some things that I've read about and seen that I can't believe you finished the race. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and that's the thing about a, a mud race, a real bad mud race like that. Sometimes they fall in your favor, but when they bite you and they bite you good. <laughs> so, and you never know what it's going to be like. I remember that Loretta Lynn's GNCC that I got fifth overall or I'm sorry, fourth overall. And uh, I remember before that race thinking, golly, this is going to really be horrible. can't believe it's raining this bad. And it ended up being the best race of my life. So, everything just flew. Everything was just perfect. Yeah. It, just, it yeah. just worked in your favor. Yeah, it really did. And sometimes it gets you. Sometimes it comes out good. <laughs> Besides that race at Loretta's, is, is that one of your most memorable races looking back on your your time in GNCC? One of my best races I ever had at the GNCC was, um, I forget exactly what year it was. I think it was 2000 or 2001. Uh, I had another podium attempt going. <laughs> and Steve Holbert, he'd, he'd been around a long time. Yep. And um, another one was Greg Goad. They were one of the, they were a couple of the top guys. And I was battling for third with those two. And we would go, we went back and forth, back and forth. And it was a really fun race, really memorable race. And 
at one time, I thought I had my first podium finally. And about a mile and a half from the finish, we came to a hill and there were just riders littered throughout. And I went one way and didn't make it. They went over the other way. And uh, I didn't know whether they even got through. So I didn't know by the time I got going if they had passed me or not. And it was just a sprint to the finish. And I realized I got fifth. So they did both get me. Oh, wow. Heart, heartbreak, but still, but still a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. What yeah. was your favorite uh, GNCC course? Um, there, was, there was a race track in Kentucky. Uh, that was probably one of my favorites. And I forget where it even was. There was a uh, auto racing facility not far from it. Uh, but it hasn't been on the schedule for probably over 10 years now. But I really rem- I remember I really liked that track. And that and Loretta's. Loretta's always treated me good. Well, that's Loretta's either treats you good or you either love Loretta's or hate Loretta's. I, I personally never had a whole lot of success there. Um, you know, we tried a lot, but I, it was just hot, miserable and never had just never had the clean runs or like we had other places. Yeah, I had, uh, I raced at Loretta's for a couple of different disciplines. I went down there one year for the motocross and I ran, I built a, a uh, motocross bike for a while, quad, and uh, I ran the 25 plus class. I didn't win either moto, but I ended up winning my class with like a second, a third. That was, that was pretty cool. Hey, a win's a win. It doesn't matter how the numbers crunch out. Exactly. I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, Was that a, was that a a GNC race or was that just a regular motocross? Yeah, that was a GNC motocross race. So got got to watch the pros, Doug Gust, uh, uh, Travis Spader and them, uh, Gary Denton. That was, it was awesome to get to watch those guys in person. Yeah. You're, 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 you're you're dating me (laughs) because I was, I was there a lot, you know, Yeah, watch all those guys. (laughs) Uh, yep. fun, fun days, man. Back, they, they didn't create the sport, but, but they were, they had a lot of influence on the directions that we are going today. And they showed a lot of us how it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you talk about the industry today and you get to see it from your perspective, just from the ATV point, what, uh, what do you see happening? Well, I, I see a lot of enthusiasm in young riders, but, uh, I see a lot of young riders not really knowing what to do and how to get into it. Uh, like I talked about my first race ever on a quad, I was going to a flat track PT race and uh, I just had a stock bike and I just wanted to go race. I didn't, I didn't care what my bike looked like. I see a lot of young guys, I think because of social media, thinking that before they enter their first race, they have to have all the parts, all the goodies. They have to have a bike set up like the pros before they go to their first race, even though they don't have the skills yet to get to that level. I think a lot of people hold themselves back from racing uh, just by not going out and trying it on their stock bike like we did back in the day. How many of us just took our stock four-wheeler to a race, and that's how you determine what parts you need? Okay, I want to... I need tougher tires. <laughs> I need B-block wheels. You know, I, need, I say, I don't be afraid. You know, yeah, don't be afraid to go out and try it with a stock bike. 
Well, I, I, think I think it should almost be mandatory to start with the stock stuff and work your way into it. Too many times you see the, the C rider on the line with, you know, a pro level pro, uh, purchase machine that exactly. they don't have any idea that the monster that's underneath them. Right. Right. And, and like I said, I think a lot of times uh, the younger riders, they, they hold themselves back because they don't think they have the equipment and they don't know that at that point, it's just all about having fun and learning the sport and, uh, enjoying it at the same time and you'll get there eventually well we, we can both say we weren't racing for millions here or uh or, or lots of uh, lots of money for retirement we've raced for the love of the sport absolutely yeah and i mean that's the key is is i think one of the reasons why i've been around so long is just for the pure love of the sport i, I grew up with a dad that was building atc 90s in in the garage to uh, compete, and and here we are today on amazing machinery that uh, technology is just keeps advancing on. Yeah, yeah, I, I do wish that the uh, manufacturers would keep developing the ATVs, the quads, like they are the side by sides and the dirt bikes and things like that. Uh, I don't really know what the answer is for that to get the manufacturers back involved, like back in the day when Pan Am had their race teams. KTM was making a race quad and, you know, Suzuki had their race teams. That was, you know, a lot of times they say the heydays of ATV racing was back with team Honda and Kawasaki on the three wheelers. But I remember when there was about five uh, factory teams out there and that, that was incredible. Well, before that, it was the industry itself that kept it going with, with right. the independent engine builders having race teams themselves right. and bringing them out uh traveling all over the the country doing it and there was no honda yamaha kawasaki suzuki support it was it was you know duncan racing ct right. curtis sparks you know and, and, a, and a handful of other guys that we were the guys that did it all we were the guys that carried the load leggers right. you know yeah, I, I i kind of feel like we're back to that with the with the quads and uh folks like yourself are keeping the ATV uh, racing dream alive. You know, uh, you guys are still always continuing development. And a lot of the manufacturers are, you know, the aftermarket manufacturers are uh, keeping the sport alive. Well, you go through phases where development comes with specific events that happen that, that allows your company to, to do development. You have to, to grow when you can grow and, and develop when you can develop. And, and I know my brother Lauren, who owns Duncan Racing, is is always looking for the opportunity to develop parts uh, at a at a at a cost ratio that's worth it. You know, you race out of pocket. So do we. You know, when you reach in your pocket and you pay for it yourself, it's it's totally different than somebody handing you a check and a and a free bike. Yeah. Yeah. What's I, the, um? What's I've been, the, I've been on. Go I've been ahead. on the end of uh, being fortunate enough times here and there uh, to having someone let me ride their bike. I had a performance shop in St. Louis area, Gateway Performance. I was talking about that Lager chassis that I had. He bought that original Lager chassis that I ran. And uh, that was that was good. It was uh, things like that that kept the racing going, you know, someone helping the racers keep them going. 
So that's what we needed. <laughs> and that's the, the small little independent guys are what kept the ATV industry going and kept the right. big guys able to do it because they would buy a chassis and they would get a guy to come out and race for them, you know, and that, that's right. where your depth came from. That's where, you know, it wasn't just two or three guys racing out there. It was 10 or 15, 20. And that's how you got the numbers is because your, your guy that was, a was in the back came from a small series somewhere in the, in the nation and raced a race or race the series with you, GNCC, GNC, on a machine that he's seen his hero ride. And, mm-hmm. and that company helped him get there. And uh, they believed in their local pro. And, and some of those local pros became national champions. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, wish, it, I wish I could have made it that far. But I had a heck of a lot of fun over the years trying. And uh, met a lot of great people. Um, my dad traveled with me for probably 15 years of my racing career. And, you know, that family time together was just incredible. And, uh, you know, traveled partners with different friends. Uh, you know, you might get some friends, they would go with you for a couple of years. And then, you know, the, I was always the guy that, uh, if someone wanted to go try it for a while, well, we know Brian's going, see if we can jump in with him. <laughs> Well, that's, so, and, and that's what, you, you know, you, you traveled with Sam for a while and raced with him. Yeah. Yeah. And, my friend Sam Huff. Yeah. And he, I don't know if he's still riding or what he's doing. I know he has a, uh, a son now. Yep. He, he's not doing any racing this year uh, with the addition of the little one. <laughs> so I, I talk to him every once in a while, try to get him to come out. And uh, I know he's still got his bikes. He ain't giving up his bikes yet, but. He's young enough. He'll make a comeback. Well, you know, the start of the family has, has slowed more than one race career. I'm sure that there was things in your life that, that didn't allow you to race as much as you wanted to at, at a given time or now. Yeah. I've, I've always had little things here and there that some way, somehow I still found a way to make it to the races. Probably not in the capacity that I should have been. So I'm sure it hurt my performance, but, uh, I still always went. <laughs> That's one thing. It seemed like I always did. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago. Didn't you bring a three wheeler out and race it again? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the years I was going with Sam, we were racing the GNCC series. And at that time, now I was in the super senior class, 45 plus years old. And the OMA series we talked about that I'd won in 2008 they allowed me to have an experiment class of a three-wheeler class. So I was racing the quad at GNCC and locally at the OMAs, uh, I would race my three-wheeler. Now that was a lot of fun getting to race on the track at the same time uh, on my three-wheeler uh, racing against the, all the quads. How many, how many three-wheelers came out and raced with you? Uh, all year, probably only about six different three-wheelers there were a couple of races where i was the only one <laughs> so, so then I my, you were top dog that year <laughs> i was I, I won that championship that year pretty well hands down <laughs> <laughs> well, hey you gotta win them how, you gotta win them however you can right 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 there was there was a couple of races that uh, like i said i was the only one and my goal that way that day was to beat as many four-wheelers as i could <laughs> what what was the machine that you brought out of retirement 
It was a 85 ATC 250R. And as luck would have it, it had a uh, Paul Turner pipe on it and a uh, pipe and silencer. And, and I bought it that way, just luckily. <laughs> did, did it have a type six pipe on it or a high rev pipe? Uh, no, on the ATC, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know enough about them to even know the difference. just put it together and go ride yeah yeah i i just raced it the way it was the way i picked it up (laughs) what do you see in the uh three-wheelers do you see many of them coming back at any other time because i know Uh, yeah there's some stuff on the west coast where you get to see a few of them pop up now and again and then you'll have an organized like a three-wheeler national where they get a bunch of them together. Uh, It's hard to put a a finger on how many you're going to get and where you're going to get them. Yeah. There's, there's a small group, small community of dedicated hardcore three-wheel racers. And uh, you know, everyone knows everyone in the, in the Midwest anyway, in my area. Um, And there's a pretty good following. There's a flat track series. Midwest Extreme Dirt Track, I believe is what it is. It's a TT series, and they have three different three-wheeler classes. Uh, they have the uh, the hybrid class made out of the 450 dirt bikes. They have the vintage class, which is just any stock two-stroke three-wheeler, and uh, just then an amateur class. So that those are those are pretty good. They generally have at least 20 three-wheelers at every event. It's, it's really neat. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's awesome true. too, that, that yeah. they can pull that many three-wheelers yep. to an event. Uh, yeah. I, I got to go to a three-wheeler race they had here a couple of years ago and um, experienced. They didn't have, they didn't have that many, but you know, they got to have enough to have a whole day. There was a conflicting right. uh, event with three-wheelers uh, at the same day, but uh, out here on the West coast, that was unfortunate, but uh I still remember my three-wheeler days. You know, my first three-wheeler race in a 200X, I ran over myself. <laughs> yeah, I think we all, we've all done that <laughs> on the three-wheelers. Yeah, the 200X was a really neat machine. That was, that was fun. That was my first uh, manual clutch. That's what I learned to ride a manual clutch on. Well, that was a great bike. That was my dad's favorite. That's my dad's favorites of all time is, is that machine because he had he was the engine builder for that era of the success of the company and he was at the owner at that time. And, and the 200 X was, uh, was a real big portion of that time, you know, besides, I mean, he built the 185 S's and the, and the ATC nineties and one tens. So, I mean, the four stroke, a lot of people don't realize it was four stroke, two stroke, and now we're back to four stroke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to, if you had to uh, really think about it, and you you go from your GNCC to your OMA or your Missouri Missouri series. Who were who was your most fierce competitor? Who was the guy that you had to beat just because he was there, not for any other reason, just because you had to beat that guy? Well, um, my my most fierce competitor in the Missouri Hair Scramble series for many years was Brian Baker. Um, it was always Brian and Brian <laughs> and we would go back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, uh, I believe it was two seasons in a row. 
I finished second to him. And, but that whole season, we just, every race was back and forth and it would come down to the last race of the year. And he got me both years, but it was, that was a good, good couple of years that, uh, uh, real fierce battles. Then, uh, at the GNCCs, uh, I never was really up high enough that I had any one particular person I had to try to try to beat. You know, I was a, I was a top 10 guy on most days. Um, I, I always like to finish in the single digits and whoever was, <laughs> whoever was in the way of doing that is who I had to try to get around. <laughs> so, uh, and then the, the OMAs, um, that first year that I ran the OMAs in 2008, um, uh, the two previous champions were Rob Zimmerman and Andy Lagsden. Uh, in 2008, he was the reigning champion from 2007. So obviously I wanted to beat those guys. <laughs> so I wanted to win that championship. And after that, um, there was, uh, uh, for 2009, um, Kyle Martin, he was another friend of mine that came from the Missouri series. And uh, at one time, there were three of us traveling in my truck and trailer that were on the pro row of the OMAs. Uh, myself, Kyle Martin, and another friend of mine, John Pitts. And John Pitts ended up being a Duncan riding with, rider with you guys as well. Yeah, I haven't heard that name in a while. Yep, yep. <laughs> He's another How's he one doing? Do you know? Uh, he doesn't race anymore either. And... Uh, a uh, couple kids and uh, just kind of moving on with life. I, I seem to be one of those riders that <laughs> no matter what life throws at me, I, I have to still chase a checkered flag. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm wired that way. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I, I love going to the races or being a part of it my whole life, whether I'm, whether I'm wrenching for somebody or, or getting to twist the throttle myself, which, you know, hasn't happened in a number of years. I understand. I'm, I keep I keep thinking this year, every year is going to be my last year. And then there's another reason just to keep going back. Right now, my nephew, Jeremy Hill, um, he's really getting faster, a lot faster. And uh, I'm really enjoying going to the races with him and uh, watching him beat the guys that I couldn't beat. <laughs> nice, nice. So, uh, now, how old's Jeremy? Jeremy is 22. Uh, he's about to turn 23 and uh yeah he he's grown up for years uh he raced on my hand-me-downs i would have a bike that uh, i'd race for a few years and it was now a practice bike so i'd let him run my bike and you know he's now that he's uh old enough working and he's paying his own way and got his own bikes now so that's kind of released a financial burden off of me but at the same time it's a it's a blast to him watch him get faster and he's now officially faster than me. So, I, I, I can admit that. Gonna ask that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can admit that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's not, but it is, you know, the, the, yeah. the eventual, the eventuality that the younger kids are going to pass you, it, it comes and, and you just yeah. have to let her go. Yeah. I, I still can't let go of it though. Whenever last year at the, AXCC race at Loretta's. Uh, I was in the pro class. He's running XT2, and uh, he was always up towards the front of that XT2 class. And uh, he would 
if he would catch me, man, I just, I'd do everything I could do to make sure he didn't get away from me. And that race, he caught me at the end of the first lap. And uh, I never let go of him. The two of us, I picked up the pace and we ran together that whole race. We eventually caught the leader of the XC2 class again. He made the pass. And right as he made the pass, he broke his chain. So he ended up not winning that race. But uh, the pace we ran, that was actually my best finish of the year. <laughs> you need to latch on that kid more. What's that? You needed to latch on that kid more. I know. I tried to every time. <laughs> wow. That, that's pretty amazing stuff. You need to have uh, Sam and John uh, reach out. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to hear their stories and spend a little time with them as well. Okay. Yeah. I'll let them know. Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure they'd enjoy that. So back to some of your, uh, your exploits as a, as a racer, um, we touched on that Kawasaki. Uh, I, I'm sure that some people don't even realize that, that that tank was raced. It's the heaviest production sport quad made. And no, there are heavier ATVs made, four-wheel drive units, but it, they considered this a sport quad. Um, tell everybody a little bit about that 700. Yeah, that 700 is uh, my favorite bike of all time. I, I still have one, and I will, I'll never be without one <laughs> because that's, that's one bike that you can just jump on at any time, and you can use it as a utility, and then you can go fast on it. and. Um, so it, it's just a blast being a shaft drive. Um, in 2015, I was only 44, so I couldn't run that 45 plus class. So in 2015, I brought my old 700 out and I raced the four by four, a class at the GNCC series, uh, just kind of get my feet wet again. And, uh, I had a few, uh, wins in that four by four, a class. Um, missed the championship. I didn't get to win the championship, but it went from at the very beginning. Uh, people, uh, the the uh, murmur around the starting line was, "What's that guy think he's going to do on that 700?" To about midway through the season, people are thinking that I had an unfair advantage due to a <laughs> solid axle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember it works. It was hand on your helmet starts, you know, yeah. in neutral. Well, that was a click it into drive, put your helmet, uh, your hand on your head. And if you lock the brakes and hit the gas, it, it, it locked it into drive. So when you nailed the throttle, it left, you right. know, no lag, no nothing. And, and I hole shot it. I can't, I, I don't remember how many I have the, of the races I hole shot it that year, but I can hole shot at Washougal and let it wire to wire uh, on that bike in the pro class. So there was, uh, there was a lot of fun to be had in 2003, 2004 on those Kawasaki's. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing bike. It, it wasn't, it was weird how sometimes you felt faster than your 450 riding that thing. Or, you know, back then it was actually, I came off the two strokes. So I, there were times I felt faster on that 700 than I would have been on my 250R. But I think over the course of the whole race, I wasn't. <laughs> but I, there we thought. I think that if you could use it, if you wanted to train somebody to be the ultimate, you'd train them to turn on a three-wheeler. Then you'd put them on a shaft drive machine. 
and teach them to corner on it because it teaches you to never get out of the throttle. So when I went from the 700 to the 450, my speed through the turns on the 450 was higher than it would normally have been because I was used to never getting out of the throttle because every time you did, right. if you hit a, if you hit a, a rut or you hit a, an edge, it didn't throw you over the bars. Yeah. So you just stayed in the gas. And um, I think that helped me win the championship in 2005 when the year I retired from points racing um, was a big, it was a, that Kawasaki was a big help. I did it on a TRX 450R, but you know, I, I have to thank that, that year I rode that, that horse, that monster, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. It was a monster. Yeah. It was, it was a great machine. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I really did. Yeah. I still have my Duncan racing exhaust on the one 700 that I have. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. I, I don't yeah. see many of those. I don't know. Um, I think both of mine went back to Kawasaki and um, the demand for exhaust for that machine kind of dwindled away. So mm -hmm. uh, we took it out of the lineup, but it, it still is a, is a pleasure to, to hear one of those go by every once in a while. And I just get it chuckled down deep in, in, in there and let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bike that you, you sure did uh, notice the spots where you had to ride it differently than a 450. And then, and you'd remember that because <laughs> it would, it would try to kick you. <laughs> I remember the scariest thing was if you go into the braking bumps out of the throttle, yes, it felt like you were going to end up underneath it on, on the front end where you were just going to go over the bars because it would kick so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Once you learn how to ride it, kind of respect the machine, right? <laughs> oh, you had to. I, I, I missed a, a double on one and, and came up short and, and ended up cartwheeling her down the course. And we brought home a, a bag of parts, not a bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had to drag it up into the truck. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty horrible. And we broke wheel hubs and fenders and fender braces and uh, just you, you, we didn't break the, the the frame or the motor, but all the appendages had a had a problem. Yeah, I think I've replaced almost everything on them as well. <laughs> yeah. Bent frames and yeah. The team Team Green wasn't real happy with us when we sent them that parts bill. <laughs> yeah, Team Green was great. That was a great experience. The whole the whole Team Green uh, atmosphere. Doug Deschet. I don't know if you ever met him. He uh, traveled to all the GNCCs and we pitted out of his truck. I didn't Green get to meet him, but I believe that he did some work on the on mine in the in the in the drive shaft uh, worm gear in the back where I ate. I was eating the gears, and it was because the differences between the train you were riding it in and the train we were riding it in when we would come off the jumps. And, and, and you would be in the throttle, it would, it would eventually eat that gear. Mm -hmm. So uh, he fixed a couple of those for me, one of them unwillingly, but still did it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, we had some good times on that machine. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. And I still do. I still use that thing as my, I cut trails when I'm cutting a new practice track somewhere. That's my go-to machine. <laughs> oh, it'll take the trees out for you. Right, right. Let them down. You just drive over them. Right. <laughs> so, um, at the at the end of our talk here and the end of our time here, um, what is the uh, 
where can people, where can your fans find you? I know that you do have a following on social media. Um, whether you believe it or not, there are a lot of people that watch for your race report and, and, and I read some of the comments and I, and I see some of the people that follow you. Most of them probably are people that know you or, or have known you throughout the years. Um, how can they get, how can they get in touch with you? How can they follow Brian Halsey? Well, uh, the only two social media outlets I have is. You froze up my on 414 tenor D I N N E R on Instagram. You froze up on me there. Can you do that again? Oh, okay. The only two social media outlets I have is uh, my Facebook page, Brian Halsey, B-R-Y-A-N-H-U-L-S-E-Y. And uh, my Instagram is 414tenner, T-I-N-N-E-R. I was a sheet metal worker, so that's where the tenor comes from. <laughs> oh, nice. So, so what are you doing not to change that? What do you do for a living now? Besides uh, now, TVs professionally. Yeah, <laughs> I wish that paid the bills. <laughs> you mean what? What do I do to fund the ATV racing? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I was a sheet metal worker, and uh, now I am a mechanical inspector for St. Louis County. So now I am inspecting the kind of work that I used to do. So um, uh, I've been kind of fortunate that that career path as well. So I no longer have to climb the ladders and do the heavy lifting. Now I get to see the other work or see the work that others do. <laughs> that's always, a, that's always a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a natural progression to move up the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been fortunate. Bless life. Yeah. Well, ATV talk really appreciates you spending some of your evening with us and tell your lovely wife. Thank you very much for letting us borrow you for an hour. I, I know that, uh, she has to put up with these, these ATVs and the, and the people in the industry probably more than she wants to some days. Yeah, she's been, she's been very, very good about it. <laughs> very understanding. And I'm, she enjoys it too. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that knowing who you are and knowing you probably as long as she has, that she knew what she was getting into. She did. Our first date, uh, when we went on our first date, it was uh, a razor ride. <laughs> nice. so, so, that, that's pretty incredible right there. Yeah. So that sealed the deal. <laughs> For you or her? We froze up again. We froze up again. Yeah. That. Oh, okay. Did it seal the deal for her or you? I think it was for both of us. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool that you, you guys both enjoy the outdoors and, and getting to go and do that. I've seen some of your posts on social media. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I just want to appreciate say how much I appreciate you taking some time with me. I know you're a busy guy and I, and I really respect the career that you've had and the things that you've offered uh, our company for some of the feedback that we've gotten from you over the years. And uh, I really appreciate it. I just wanted to say thank you very much. Uh, I, I want to say I appreciate everything you've guys done. I believe it's been about 22 year relationship that I've uh, run under you guys' banner. And I've been proud the whole 22 years to represent you guys. And I'd like to give a shout out to all my sponsors that- uh, Go right ahead, name some of them. Okay. To have. Um, Duncan Racing obviously is always at the top of the list. You guys are my longest sponsor and most loyal. Uh, v Rubber Tires, I've 
been fortunate enough to develop tires for them and design tires. And uh, I worked with with them for over ten years. They're kind of a uh, they're they're new to the U.S. about ten years ago, and um, they've they've made some really good products. It's not really been not really taken off in the market that well because um, I think we went for more of a performance tire, and we lost a little bit of the uh, uh, longevity of a product. So it performs better, but it wears out quicker. So that. But uh, anyway, and then EBC brakes, I mean, when you think of aftermarket brakes, it's always EBC brakes. They're the top uh, power mad. Uh, I've been in all of these companies I've been with for 15 years or so, 10, 15 years. And I'm honored to represent them, even though I don't really get anything from precision stabilizers anymore. Georgia Precision, uh, I've been with them for a long time. JT Sprockets, uh, Chains and Sprockets, they've been incredible. Uh, they make just as good a chains as the other large companies and the less price, which is good. <laughs> uh, Motion Pro Cables, IMS, uh, Shocks Aeros Effect, uh, Moose Racing. I've been with Moose Racing forever. And uh, Dirtworks Motorsports, they make suspension linkage and a few, few other little one-off products. So. Uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone that made my career possible. And uh, thank you for having me on. Thank, thank you, bud. And, and I appreciate it. Uh, save some time for me in the future. And we'll uh, maybe get a, maybe get a group of you guys together with you and John and Sam and, and sit down and, and give me some uh, inside scoop on some of those truck rides that you guys took, you know, the razzing, whoever didn't beat who got on the way home. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get some stories out of those too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Thanks again, Brian. Uh, I, we, ATV talk, really appreciate you spending the time with us. And, and I know I've said it 10 times. I just really appreciate you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, bud. You have a wonderful night. Thanks a lot. Bud. All right. You too. Talk thank to you. Bud. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.